Today I want to talk about the question of reward. What's your reward? What's in it for you? What do you get out of all this? I believe that the subject of reward should be very important to God's people because it marks a time when all the good fruit of your life, all the good things that have come out of the life choices that you make are shown to have made a difference. Everybody who enters into the kingdom of God when Christ returns receives the gift of everlasting life. I mean, that's just everybody, right? So everybody gets the same thing. But what you experience, what you enjoy within the kingdom of God is unique to you. And hers is unique to her. And his is unique to him. And it depends on what you do. We don't often dwell on the subject of reward because it gets all tangled up. It sure does. It gets all tangled up with all kinds of misunderstandings about trying to earn your salvation. Anybody ever had a conversation about trying to earn your salvation with someone? Well, understanding the biblical teaching on reward means understanding the difference between the judgment that is upon your sin and the answer to that which is found in Christ, and that, of course, is a salvation that leads to eternal life, or eternal death, versus judgment on your works, which leads to reward. So I've given you a little chart here, a handy reference chart, and uh, it's a, got some key scriptures in there, by no means all scriptures on these subjects, but on one side you will see uh, judgment of sin, judgment of works. If you look at the judgment of your sins column, I put some scriptures in there, and it can basically be spelled out this way. And we'll go through the scriptures as well. You're justified or made right with God through your faith in Jesus Christ. And the sacrifice of Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for your sins. And you've taken it up through repentance, baptism. The sacrifice of Jesus pays that penalty and his resurrected life opens up the door to eternal life for you. And you enter this through baptism, and it's yours to have, as long as you want it, which means you can always throw it away if you choose. Now, the scriptures that I've added in there are Romans 5, verse 1 through 9, and I've just grabbed a little section of it, which says really the core of what this concept is about. Therefore, having been justified by faith, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now, salvation unto eternal life is a gift. It's something that God gives you. A couple of scriptures, important scriptures on that, are Ephesians 2 and uh, verses 8 through 9, which tell us, For by grace, by God's grace, his favor, you have been saved, saved from death, through faith, and that not of yourselves. So this is not something that you have made happen 
yourself. It is a gift from God. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Another important scripture on that is Romans 6, verse 23, which says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the key concept there again is, this is a gift. God gives it to you, and there's nothing that you can do to earn it. Now on the other side, on the other column, I've put judgment of your works. Judgment of your works. And the judgment upon your works is a different matter. A very different matter. Judgment upon your works is about what sort of person you were while you lived in the flesh. And as far as I can tell, all of us are still living in the flesh this moment. So it depends on what's going on in your life. Your character, your nature, things like that. Let's take a look at some key scriptures regarding judgment of your works. Romans 14, verses 10 through 12, tell us that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So everybody's going to be judged, so that each of us will give account of himself to God. Okay, another scripture you could look at there is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, but I'll let you do that on your own. The concept on this side of the, on this side of the dotted line here is that rewards are earned. And this is important to keep separate from salvation. Very important, or else you lose it all. You lose all the marbles if you don't keep them separate. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 9 through 15 tell us, now, if anyone builds on this foundation, and he's talking about your life, and he says, if someone building, building a life, and they're doing things, they're working, and if they build on this foundation with gold, or silver, or precious stones, then he's kind of going down, and he, or wood, maybe, or hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, will become known, it will come to light. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Whether it's gold, you know, really good, or whether it's, you know, hay or stubble. And if you're building a house, and you build a house out of precious metals, it's probably a whole lot better than a house that's built out of hay. This section of scripture always makes me think of that story of the three little pigs. Anyone know the story of the three little pigs? Yeah, well, the three little pigs, they built houses out of different materials, and then the big bad wolf comes, and he huffs, and he puffs, and he can blow the house down when it's made out of straw, but when it's made out of stone or precious metal, big bad wolf can't blow the house down. Moving on in the scripture, if anyone's work is burned, so these works, precious stone, hay, stubble, wood, whatever, meet the fire, and the fire is going to burn up what it's going to burn up, you know? And it says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through a fire. Anybody ever been through a fire? Yes, we got, oh, wow, we've got someone who's been through a fire. Well, I have only heard about what it's like to go through a fire, and what I've been told is it's like just being completely wiped out and starting all over again. I think what the scripture is getting at here is, uh, okay, you know, the person kind of gets through by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin, but they got nothing. No reward. 
Now, there are some other reasons why we shy away from this idea of talking about reward. Um, one, one might be the influence of what I'll call um, socialist philosophy, which is the idea that everybody should share equally in whatever reward there may be. So if there are goodies out there, everybody should get their fair share. Um, you know, phrases like, uh, we expect from each according to his ability and we give to each according to his needs. So that's a philosophy that's, that's out there and affects the way we think. Another reason, maybe, is the influence of uh, egalitarianism, big thing in the United States, uh, which is kind of a utopian idea that everybody should be equal, with no wealth, uh, no status, no power. Everybody should just be equal. So that's another idea that floats around in our society. And then you might just have some who, who might interpret a conscious active seeking of reward as something unchristian. You know, it's, it's just unworthy of the humility and the sacrifice exemplified by Jesus. So those are possibly some reasons why we don't like to think about reward. And all these concepts, they have a grain of truth to them. All of them do. There's a grain of truth to them, but there's truth mixed with error. Where they all go wildly astray is because we, as fallible, finite human beings, put them together with a very worldly idea of what rewards are. What are rewards? You know, if we're shooting for rewards, well, what might they be? What might they be? So let's take a minute, talk about what these rewards might be. We tend to think of reward as goodies, you know? You probably think of a reward as more money. That's good, right? More money, I got a head nodder over there. Um, a big bag of candy. No head nodders there, no head nodders, okay. Uh, more power, you know, a promotion, some status, stuff like that, that's what we think of. I, you know, that's what I see in the world around me. But regarding the rewards that God has in store, regarding those rewards, well, I gotta tell you, scripturally, we don't have a lot of detail about the specifics, what those rewards might be. We get an inkling from various scriptures, such as the uh, parable of the pounds and the talents in Luke 19. Let's go there. <clears throat> it is a uh, just a parable. I think there's a lot of truth in the parables, but you've got to be careful about being over-detailed about analyzing them. So we get an inkling from scriptures, and I'll, I'll go through this, verse 12 through 24, that the reward is tied to responsibilities and authority. Okay, so let's take a look at Luke 19, verse 12 through 24 which say, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we, we don't want this man to be our king. But he was made king, however, and returned home. Now, now it gets the juicy stuff. 
Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. And the first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in this small matter, take charge of ten cities. And the second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. And his master answered, You take charge of five cities. And then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your mina back. I've kept it laid up in a piece of cloth, and I was afraid of you because you're a hard man, and you take what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. In other words, he's saying, <clears throat> I, I didn't risk any of the money doing anything. I just kind of you know, carry, kept it safe for you. Here's it back the way you gave it to me. Didn't, didn't generate anything from it. So that's a section of scripture where we get this idea that reward is related to responsibility which is a very, you know, I mean, there's some overlap with the way we look at reward, but it's, it's very different from worldly reward. Because greater responsibility and authority means something very different to God than it means to people like us. Well, hopefully, we know better, but let's just say people in general. Responsibility and authority within the kingdom of God is not a way to gain greater physical comfort or ease, you know, have a bigger house, a better car, all kinds of perks that go along with that. And neither is godly reward in, in form of authority or responsibility uh, meant to build your ego up at the expense of other people. That's not the way God sees things at all. It's kind of a different message, but when we talk about those things and we will talk about those things at different times. Jesus tells us that whoever wants to be great in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, will humble himself as a little child and be the servant of others. So right there, God's way of looking at responsibility and authority and being given a position is so different from the way we kind of look at it. Again, as I said, that's a different message that really needs to have a lot of time developed to it, and we've talked about it before. So I mentioned that the details about our rewards are limited in Scripture. And when I think about that lack of explicit detail on what those future rewards might be, I like to think of 2 Corinthians 2, verse 9, which says, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And I like that scripture, and there's others like it, but it kind of says, well, I've given you a little bit, but there's a lot of stuff about eternal life, about kingdom of God, that frankly, I think if God told me or told you, I don't think we'd even get it. What are you talking about? And so we have to go with what he's given us and trust that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and the heart hasn't even thought of the things that God has in store. So I put it to you that the idea of working and consciously and actively working for a reward is a biblical concept. It is not wrong. And it is not to be kicked to the curb with a trite little phrase like, you're preaching salvation by works. 
No, not at all. Go with me to Matthew 6. Because they're separate. They're separate things. This is not about salvation, as we, I hope, covered. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 19 through 21. Say, do not store up for yourselves. So you're working towards something here. Hmm. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These are Jesus' words here saying, seek after treasures. Seek after treasures that are everlasting. And they're stored up for you. He's talking about reward, not talking about salvation. It's referring to something other than the receipt of eternal life. Because eternal life is a free gift. And it is not something that you can store up for yourselves. Not at all. Now, this reward, these treasures in heaven, are presently stored up for you and kept in heaven. But Christ says that he will bring them with him when he returns. Go to Matthew 16. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will find it. And what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can someone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Seeking reward from the Father is not about getting ahead of others. It is about mastering all those conflicting pushes and pulls that war within you. It's kind of like you need to get ahead of yourself, <laughs> not ahead of others. It's just that, you know, God thinks in such a different way than we do that we can take his words, you know, we can take the idea of reward and we can turn it into something ungodly because we just have a very different way of looking at things. But with God, he's saying, no, no, no. This is not about exalting yourself. It's about humbling yourself. So the time when those who are in Christ... When he returns, the time when they give account for themselves before God is not about sin. What do I mean by that? Well, when Christ returns, those who are in Christ are resurrected. Again, different subject, worthy of an entire sermon on its own. But when Christ returns, those who are in Christ rise, and they are risen to spiritual life. They are saved from death. They don't have any more need of, of being concerned about that. They are resurrected to spirit-born life. That is their salvation from death. It's happened. It's a done deal. And he also brings the rewards that he has to bestow. 
And I presume, of course, you know, I'm adding a little bit here, but I presume that this is the time when we stand before him to give account for our deeds and to receive our reward. So how do we seek reward? What do we do? How do we seek reward? One thing I want to just cover briefly before I talk about that is to talk about a word picture that you find in the Bible. So sometimes instead of using the word reward, the Bible uses the word crown. Alrighty? For example, 1 Corinthians 9. Let me go there and read that as an example. Verse 23 through 27. Paul writes, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games. Well, this is an interesting concept, competing for a prize. It's because we're talking about reward. We're not talking about salvation. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So the Greek word for crown there is stephanos. Stephanos. And when they ran athletic races and they won, they would get a crown of leaves they'd put around their head. That's why it's considered very perishable. And that crown was given as a prize based on effort, how well they'd run. Therefore, it cannot be referring to salvation because salvation is a gift. It is not a crown. It is a gift. Remember Romans 23 Eternal life is the free gift given to us from God. Your salvation from death is not based on works. So when you look at the word crown in the Bible, there's another place, another word that's used for crown, and it's diadem. And you see that in Rome, uh, sorry, Revelation 12, verse 1 through 3, and Revelation 13, verse 1. And you'll read it in English, and it's translated crown. But Satan's wearing the crown. <laughs> It's a different word. It's diadem. It is not Stephanos. It is diadem. That's a different type of crown. That's like a jeweled crown that would be given to a king, someone who's been appointed to a position of authority, which is not based on merit, not based on anything they've done. It's not a crown you get for effort. It's not a prize. It's a mark of authority. So that's where you'll see that. But let's talk about the Stephanos, okay, this Stephanos type of crown which I believe should be considered as a synonym for reward. Reward for a job well done, a Stephanos. So let's take a quick look at some types of service that relate to reward, okay? And I've got how many here? 14, so I'm gonna have to whiz through those. 14, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, we're going to do it. 14. The first group of three is concerned with endurance and perseverance. Endurance and perseverance. Luke 6, verse 22. Luke 6, verse 22. 
Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how the ancestors treated the prophets. So enduring persecution for the sake of Christ. It's a work unto reward. James 1 verse 12 Man, why does it always go back to persecution? Yeah, endurance. Okay, so James 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life, the Stephanos, that the Lord has promised for those who love him. So here we have enduring temptation or trial. Oh, man, temptation and trial again? Yes. Work unto reward. Go to Revelation 2, verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown, your Stephanos. Job well done. So that's the first group, endurance and perseverance, one, two, and three. Next little group I've got here is participation in God's work. This one's, this one's a little less. <laughs> participation in God's work. Go with me to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. Paul writes, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and there is in store for me the crown of righteousness with the, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So faithfully doing God's work and loving his appearing, looking forward to it. Go to 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19. For what is the hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord when he comes? Is it not you, indeed, you are our glory and joy? So here's Paul speaking about the people in the congregation who he was working with. So his pastoral work soul winning you know you might have you might have been part of god winning a person over i don't know if you've ever experienced that i mean it's kind of hard to pin down you know a person's usually not convinced by a single argument or a single conversation but sometimes you can tell when someone has been kind of moved along you know if you've known them for a while and you see them coming to the truth and you've had a part to play in it that's important stuff it's a work unto reward 1 Corinthians 3, verse 8. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Paul's speaking of the work of building up the church here. You know, he's saying, I planted, Apollos watered, God brings the growth. These are things that are works unto reward. 
So faithful pastoral work. And you could also look at 1 Peter 5, verses 2 through 7. That's a good one to look at. Um, you should look at that one. Because this one kind of brings in the context of uh, personal humility and self-control. First uh, Peter 5, verses 2 through 7 says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but e- eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. Again, that's Stephanos. That will never fade away. And in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. So I like that one because it does talk about the pastoral work, but I think it extends it out to just general humility before one another and self-control. So that's group two. That's group two, so the three there. The third little group that I've got is doing good to others. Doing good to others. Luke 6, verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other. And if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Everybody loves people who love them back, right? You know that. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full, but love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So love your enemies, show generosity from those people who you know have no intention of paying you back, not hoping for anything in return. That implies, you know, a spirit of forgiveness and it requires some humility and self-control, which are fruits of the spirit as well. And it's a work unto reward. Go to Matthew 6. And verses 1 through 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. And if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What he's saying there is, uh, you know, sometimes you want people to notice that you've done something good. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, have you? Anyone? Ever? 
No one's raising their hands. Okay, I got an honest person. <laughs> All right. So what he's saying is, you know, if, if you do something for the sake of other people seeing you to do it, and they see you do it and they say, awesome, you're awesome, and you go, yeah. God's saying, that's your reward. You got it. That's it. That's all. You know, Laura and I um, have a, we haven't done it much lately, but we have a joke um, where, you know, if, if I do something and she's, she says, well, that was really awesome of you to do. I say, don't steal my reward. <laughs> anyway, it's just a joke. But the idea I think you get is, you know, it's, it's not about doing things to be seen by others. And God says, well, you know, if that's the reward you're seeking, when they see you and they praise you for it, that's all you get. Okay, so uh, we're in Matthew 6. Let's go to uh, Matthew 10. And verse 40, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to these little ones who is my disciples, truly I tell you that person will certainly not lose their reward. So here we're looking at hospitality towards other members and in particular fellow uh, workers, fellow members who are workers for God. So doing good to others. Love your enemies, giving to the poor and needy, and hospitality towards other members and especially those who are doing the work of God. So that's the third group. Now the fourth group I've got here is spiritual discipline. Works unto reward. Spiritual discipline. Go back to Matthew 6. And we'll pick it up in verse 5. It says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So prayer is a work unto reward. And of course, I think the last time I talked here, uh, I was talking a little bit about intercession for others, praying for the blessings upon others and things like that, and give a little meat on the bone about what that kind of prayer might be. But prayer is a work unto reward to be done in secret, not to be vain repetition, you know, going in just, um, you know, saying a lot of uh, repetitive words just for the sake of getting the time in there. Let's take a look now at another one. Drop down in Matthew 6 to verse 16. Again, we're talking about uh, spiritual disciplines here. And we've got fasting. It says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Look good, look happy. 
so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So fasting, a spiritual discipline, is a work unto reward. One more. Last group I've got is having a good attitude. Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 22. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is upon you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. So whether you want to look at that as slaves or you want to look at that as uh, you know, wage slaves toiling away in a cubicle, whatever, it's talking about your attitude while you work. That's what's important. Your attitude while you work. Serving wholeheartedly as if what you are doing at the moment is working for the Lord. If you look at Ephesians 6, verses 7 through 9, you'll see that this also applies to the one who is the master, or the one who is the boss, as much as it does to the servant. Go to Hebrews 10. Verse 32, remember those earlier days after you received the light when you endured in great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution and at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and more lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Having confidence in the promises of God over material well-being and status, that is a tough attitude to maintain. I think it is. It's tough. But it is a work unto reward. Something God really likes. Uh, We're in Hebrews. Just jump over to chapter 11, verse 26. Uh, Speaking of Moses here, it says, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. A frame of mind, a way of looking at things, an attitude. While we're in uh, Hebrews 11, just drop back now to verse 6. This is my wife's favorite verse, at least one of them. She's got a lot of them. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6, which says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So earnestly seeking God. It's an attitude, a frame of mind, a way of looking at things. God rewards people for their attitude. You you can can do a lot of things. Uh, You 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 can fast. You can have a rotten attitude while you do it. Right? You You can endure suffering and have a rotten attitude while you do it. Or you can do those things and you can have a 
different attitude. God sees the difference and he likes a certain approach to things. Didn't say it was easy, but God's very much in favor of having a good attitude. Notice that these works unto reward that I've gone through, all 14 of them, are not matters of obedience and sin. There is no commandment for or against serving wholeheartedly or or praying. They're not matters of commandment keeping at all. These are something different. These are matters of, I don't know, character, the inner person, who and what you are, what are your motives, your endurance, your perseverance, your attitudes. So rewards also can be lost or diminished. This is a scary one. We looked at uh, Matthew 6, verses 1 through 2, which told us that, you know, if we do our righteous acts for the sake of other people seeing, then we lose that reward that we would have otherwise had, okay? Uh, let's take a look at Second John, verse uh, 7. It says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world, and any, any such person is a deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded in full. So straying from sound teaching, sound doctrine, sound understanding of the teachings of Christ and wandering into heresy can cause you to lose reward. Doctrine matters. Okay, Colossians 2. And uh, verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. So even though it doesn't say reward, it's talking about being disqualified. So you can lose that reward. You can be disqualified because of the worshiping of angels, which I would say extends into the whole realm of false worship. That can disqualify you. Revelation 3, verse 11. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. In saying, let no one take your crown, it's implying that someone can. Well, that would be bad, wouldn't it? Some other person diminishing or taking my reward from me? How might that happen? Well, I believe this means letting another person's bad behavior, bad attitude, negatively affect your pursuit of endurance or participation your doing of good to others, your spiritual discipline, or just developing a bad attitude, becoming bitter because of other people. If anything is going to make you bitter, it's going to be someone else, <laughs> other folks. That's what most people get bitter about. Let no one steal your crown. Reward, I believe, should be understood as going above and beyond what is required of you above and beyond what is required of you. And this kind of circles back to where we began with a comparison, a contrast between 
the judgment of your sin and the judgment of your works. Go with me to Luke 17. Because sin is about what's required of you and works is about going above and beyond. Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. Jesus says, Okay, so suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. And will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come, come now and sit down to eat. Won't he rather say, won't the boss man rather say, Prepare my supper and get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. And after that, you may eat and drink. And will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do, what he had to do? So you also, when you have done everything that you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, and we have only done our duty. There are aspects of obedience to God that that's just your duty. You have to do those things. You don't get any reward for doing it. There is no reward for you for being honest. That's baseline. That's expected. There's no reward for you for keeping the commandments. That's baseline. You have to do those things. Go to 1 Corinthians 9. And verse 14. Paul is speaking of his ministry here. And in Corinth, he, he was in a very interesting situation where he was preaching without pay because preaching for pay would give some people the wrong impression about why he was doing what he was doing because it was a big thing in Corinth that they had a lot of people who went around teaching for money and fame and so forth, and he purposefully did not do that. So that's a little bit of the context. He says here, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So he's saying, well, I, I could take the money. I deserve it. But I have not used any of these rights. And I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I, Paul, preach the gospel... I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. And woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preached voluntarily, then I would have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. And he was commanded by God to go and preach the gospel. He had no choice. He wasn't doing it voluntarily. He had no choice. If you think about his conversion, I think it was a do or die moment. Paul, something bad is going to happen. You need to turn your life around and preach the gospel. Different message, different time. But he was commanded. So he goes on and says, what then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. So that's Paul's personal take on his ministry. And uh, Paul tells us that he preaches the gospel not because he volunteered for the job, but because he was commanded, he was compelled to do it by God, by Christ. Paul realizes that he was commanded, and this, is, you know, this assignment had no reward 
And if he were doing what he were doing of his own free will, then that would be different. But he didn't have a choice here. However, Paul made a personal decision. God didn't tell him he had to preach without pay. Paul made a personal decision here to go above and beyond what God had commanded him by preaching free of charge. And, you know, he didn't always do that, but the circumstances in Corinth kind of made it the best thing for the people in the congregation so they wouldn't get the wrong idea. And he was willing to do it for them. Although he had every right to expect to make a living as a preacher and an apostle like the others, he does not. He goes above and beyond to serve others and to preach the gospel and to sacrifice himself for the sake of Christ. And that is the sort of behavior and the sort of attitude that God likes and rewards. I mean, God, don't get me wrong, God likes obedience. (laughs) Don't get me wrong on that one. God wants us to obey. But just like from the very beginning, we've got two categories here. Obedience, that's baseline. You have to do those things. You don't have a choice. There's no reward. It's pleasing to God. And you want to please God. But work unto reward is something different. It is going above and beyond. I mean, even if you think about the keeping of the commandments, you can do it with a bad attitude or you can do it with a good attitude. And that's going to make a difference. So in conclusion, working towards your reward is a sound biblical concept that should not get mixed up and lost in discussions about the mechanics of salvation and the idea of salvation through works. It's a different subject. Now, we might not have a lot of specifics. We might not have a lot of details on the rewards that God has in store. But if we know God, and hopefully we are getting to know him better, and we know his character, and we trust him, then the rewards are beyond what we can even imagine. And perhaps for him to try and describe them and explain them to us would in some ways uh, be worse. Because then we'd have a wrong idea of what they might be. We have a way of doing that, taking God's words and twisting them. But the rewards are beyond what we can imagine. The nature of the righteous acts that God rewards, the nature of those acts that God rewards are of an they're of a certain type of, of, of work, of activity, that somehow in the pursuing of these things, the, you know, the attitude, the spiritual discipline, the perseverance, the, the doing good to others, somehow in the very act of doing those things, uh, we actually build God-like character. That's a character that actually doesn't crave reward. When you do these things unto reward, you're moving yourself in a, you know, a way spiritually, intellectually, emotionally that is not craving reward, that humbles yourself and serves others for their own sake, which is a real reward unto itself. Go with me to the last scripture, Revelation 22. Revelation 22, verse 12. Which says, Jesus' words here in red, if you've got a red letter Bible, look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what 
he has done.